Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. This is common to everybody. And it stems from a point of you want to do things right. You actually care. So it, it's a good thing. If you don't have that concern or that worry, then I, I could argue that maybe you don't care enough. Maybe you shouldn't be training your dog, right? But you can't let it freeze you and stop you from training your dogs because you don't know what you don't know until you know it, right? You have to go out there and do it to figure it out and learn it. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch, rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. My guest this week is Mike Stevens. Uh, he is a Patreon patron of the podcast, and he reached out a few weeks ago with, uh, with a lot of questions. And I started to answer them one by one, as I normally do with most people, but he had some substantial questions that I felt like would just be kind of fun to try something new and different and allow him to come on and act as like a guest co-host or, or a host, so to speak, and just grilled me with all these questions because there are a lot of similar questions that a lot of new people uh, and getting into it with their first dogs tend to have. So, Mike, welcome to the show, and, and I hope you, you know, you're prepared to be a host, so to speak. Hi, thanks, Nick. Appreciate the the invite to be here today, and um, I'm excited for this opportunity. I did take notes, so uh, I'm <laughs> I think I'm ready to go. We'll see how I do. This is kind of my rookie year for everything. <laughs> well, we'll see how this goes. This could blow up in our face, uh, but I think it could be a lot of fun. It's something different, and as a listener of the show, you know how I am. I like doing things different. It's it's a lot of fun yeah. trying different stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean to kind of piggyback off the. The previous point you 
I, I kind of skimmed through a lot of your questions, and a lot of it is very similar questions to what I get asked a lot of. So I thought mm-hmm. there would be some value in bringing you on. Let you ask me. We have a conversation about it. And hopefully it helps other people because if you have those questions, other people are going to have them. And uh, I just thought it'd be fun to have a Patreon patron on here, you know, being the host of GDIY for for a week or an episode, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember what episode you were doing when, when all my questions spurred, but you did an outtake or, or a profile episode and, and you touched for like real briefly, maybe like three minutes, four minutes, something like that on – thoughts of having your your first dog on its first hunt and you mentioned one or two things about what you looked for when you see a dog out in the field and i was like wait 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 time out wait i want to know more about this i want to know what <laughs> what what does nick see what does nick look for what what is an experienced handler or someone that's been working with dogs for a while see that i don't see or what are they looking for that that i should look for yeah Absolutely. And I mean, and it's a great point because a lot of us, as we kind of get going, we kind of end up in our own little echo chamber. We keep talking to the same people over and over again. So really the only way or one of the best ways, I should say, for me to kind of realize what you guys want to know or, or something that would be valuable to you is you guys reaching out and asking direct questions in response to episodes. And that's what we talk about. And you hear it on all podcasts. It's not just mine. That feedback truly does matter from the listeners, as well as the Patreon patrons, as as those are the main focus, you know, that's top priority for us answering questions. But, you know, you had a couple of really good specific questions, and I haven't seen them. I have no idea what all you're going to ask me on this episode. So, again, this could be a huge failure, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun either way. Uh, but, Mike, you know, before people start listening to you as a host of a podcast, they first have to kind of get to know you a little bit. So let's start there, and then we can kind of change seats here for a little bit. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody where you're calling from, what kind of dogs you run, and and what got you into the bird dog real, world real quick. Sure. My name's Mike Stevens, and I'm from Lenhartsville, Pennsylvania, kind of a southeastern Pennsylvania location. And... Uh, what got me into gun dogs and bird dogs was I grew up with a Springer Spaniel, and that that dog was an integral part of our family. Uh, life happens, life moves on, college, careers, other things, and you know went a long time without doing any upland hunting, bird hunting. And a couple of years ago, I had had a friend invite me along to his goose blind, and uh, it was awesome. I mean. Just that experience of sitting in a blind, uh, you know, we have the decoys out doing the calling and uh, next thing you know, we've got these birds landing right in front of us. That, that threw me back into the bird world, nice. uh, and but definitely threw me in the waterfowl segment. And after a couple of years of hunting waterfowl, um, some of my buddies that, that I hunted waterfowl with, you know, had, had bird dogs and they were doing other types of hunting. So I've got a... Um, uh, a good buddy has got a, a, a Deutsch Trot and, uh, that dog is a magnificent dog and, uh, her name's Uda and she, she does, she does everything. So, so that was my buddy, Eric and his dog Uda. And that got me definitely interested in, in the gun dog world and the bird dog world and started getting me to think about, Hey man, I'd like to have a dog and what, what direction should I go? And, Kind of about the same time, maybe a month or two later, uh, another good friend that I've done a little bit of waterfowl hunting with, a little bit of uh, 
we have some fishing partners in common and he invited me to go to a local pheasant farm uh, and he had a lab like a um, pretty much to think at that time a, a one-year-old lab and it was a blast man that was the first time i'd hunted upland birds in probably 20 years and i'm like all right i'm getting a lab i'm getting hooked. a dog so, so, <laughs> so yeah so i'm hooked so but i was still torn between oh uh, i really like the the Strat, i like the pointers but like uh, I, I really fell in love with this 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 lab name troy and he just had a great personality i felt like the lab personality and what was a good fit for what I was doing. They were good family dogs. They were good companions. And uh, yeah, right about then I, I started looking at breeders. There's a great local breeder who's very well known, has a lot of good lineage, like a lot and a lot of great dogs. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I, I got lucky. I got into a, a litter and next thing you know, I, I, I had my, my, my lab. Uh, so I have a chocolate lab named Ellie, and she's been a part of my life now for 14 going on 15 months. So this is my first – this is my rookie year for everything. I'm coming off my first season with my first gun dog and first season back into upland bird hunting, really in, in my adult life since my since my teen years. So it, it's been quite a ride of trying to learn the gun dog world, relearn how to hunt birds, what to do, where to go, what to look yeah. for. So your episode really grabbed my attention on, <laughs> hey, <laughs> first dog thoughts. I'm like, oh, because I belong to an online training group and a great group and mainly focus on hunt testing and waterfowl hunting. So, and a lot, there's a lot of emphasis in that group, uh, especially if you're going to do hunt tests, maybe waterfowl and red shirting your dog for the first year. And there's pros and cons to that. And, you know, I'm sure that could, that could probably be a whole nother episode on, Hey, what are you going to do with your dog? But I wanted to do something with my dog. So I'd worked with a local trainer to do the gun intro with my dog and it was kind of like we went through a couple sessions with some chuckers and some gun intro and all of a sudden it was like hey you're ready yeah and Go i'm out like there i'm and ready have fun. really <laughs> yeah i'm like we're ready now and they're like yeah sure uh as soon as you get your dog collar trained and they do recall going out and have fun come on back and i'm yeah. like really and then but like i just felt like there was so much i i didn't know and um i, I was literally driving in my car listening to one of one of your episodes and i'm like it, it was the montana episode the montana hunt episode oh okay and to me that was exciting that was probably one of my more favorite episodes and i was pumped i'm like i want to go hunt right now <laughs> but this this but this thought was looming over me like man i don't think i'm ready i don't know if she, ellie's ready i don't know i don't know what to do and i actually texted you um and you're like, just go do it. <laughs> <laughs> go have at it. <laughs> just go do it. And and literally, I was into the next parking lot of the next sporting goods store, buying two boxes of number eight shot, <laughs> <laughs> and and dropping pins on my Onyx of where we we're gonna go that weekend. Uh, so that became my first hunt. Uh, the living in Pennsylvania, we we don't have wild birds. Our options to hunt birds, there there's a lot of good grouse hunting. I've heard. Um, I've got a lead on a couple of good grouse spots. My uncle lives in great grouse hunting country, so he's gonna uh, take me around th th this fall. 
But uh, our option for really hunting birds are really pheasant farms or the our game commission does a fantastic job of doing managed fields, managed resources and having stocking programs. So right. uh, we hit one of our local uh, uh, state game lambs and we got lucky because it was fairly recent after a stocking, maybe the next day, the next morning. I'm not really sure when, but uh, you hit the hit the ground running with a with a young puppy she was nine months old at that time kind of like a rocket ship covered in fur <laughs> uh, and there i am with my dad you know we're, we're getting back in tune to hunting together and i got this dog zooming around at 100 miles an hour i'm i've got an e-collar i'm like trying to adjust the e-collar i'm trying to hold my gun trying to adjust my gear there's she's running out there's birds flushing there's <laughs> there there's roosters there's roosters cackling all over the place and it, it was just chaos chaos and you're not the only one man it, it's it, that's gonna happen sometimes especially you know first timers you're just not used to it you don't know what to expect mm-hmm. you're not prepared for it and you know young dogs anything can happen on all this stuff that's that's honestly yeah. like there's no way that you listening to a podcast episode or you you hopping on a phone call with me would prepare you for an experience like that. You you honestly just have to kind of throw yourself to the fire and and see how it turns out for you to be able to kind of understand how how something like that can kind of unravel or or just transpire in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. So we we just wrapped up our season last weekend with a chucker challenge. Okay. Uh, so if there's listeners out there that don't know what that is, it's essentially, a uh, a controlled hunt where they put uh, a set number of birds out in our case for the puppy division, they put four chuckers out in a, in a field, uh, in, in two different strips, you're limited to 15 minutes. So then you get, you get points for finding the bird, flushing the bird, shooting the bird, the retrieve, and then the bird in hand. Uh, so you compete against other dogs in your age group. Uh, there, there was a pointing division and a flushing division, and uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a good way to to top the season off after all yeah. the chaos we experienced in the beginning. But going back to redshirting your dog or not, yeah, uh, I'm glad I didn't. That was the best decision I ever made. I had so much fun, and the bond that you create with your dog as a puppy doing that, that that's something you – the only way you can have that is to experience that chaos and just go do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and I remember when you reached out – I can't remember how we originally swapped contact information. I know you're a Patreon patron, so you may have asked questions prior to that. But I just – I remember getting the text, and you're like, hey – a lot of people are advising me, you know, apparently this is common practice in the dog world is red shirt. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, it's your dog. You know, some people preach red shirting. Some people don't. Uh, I think there's a little more context for it. But I remember telling you, you know, after kind of hearing the age of the dog, your preparation, you had a recall, e-collar, pretty much what you said the trainer told you. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I was like, go do it, man. Like, you got the dog to hunt. Go, go do it, you know. Yeah. But – I think it, it remind me, I gave you the, the normal uh, pretext to that, to where like if you go out there expecting a quote-unquote finished dog hunt, that's not what you're out there to do. Go out there with the intention or the mindset that this is more exposure than it is quote-unquote hunting. Uh, I'm assuming I gave you my normal spiel because that's kind of what I tell everybody in that to where when you're going yeah. with a young puppy – you know, don't go into it serious hardcore hunter. That's kind of more sophomore year. Go into freshman year 
with the expectation that, hey, this dog's going to screw up. I'm going to be there with it. But you're thinking bigger picture. You're thinking long term. And and you're just exposing the dog to the actual environment. But to to your point, I I really believe in the fact that when you're out in the field with your dog – that mm-hmm. it's invaluable opportunity to develop that bond and that relationship with your dog that's going to expand for a decade plus, hopefully. It it was, and it was invaluable. And so be, before I forget, how we hooked up, Nick, was um, the Govee. Mm, <laughs> that's right. The temperature gauge for yeah, the truck. Yeah, that's I, right. I, you, I, you're the Govee guy that I've – man – Govey should be sponsoring this show because I can't tell you how many people have bought those systems by mm-hmm. by from you. Ultimately, you're the one that gave me the the tip on it. You you showed it to me. You sent me the link, and I'm like, yes, that's that's it. Yeah. And I've been using it, and so many listeners yeah. are using that now. Well, well, going into summertime, maybe that's a good good place to start because I originally reached out to you asking about, hey, it's you know I got an eight-week-old puppy beginning of April. I was moving in, you know, I, I took my dog everywhere. You know, I had a kennel, uh, but I also have a, um, I also have a pickup truck with a cap on the back and starting to move in the summer. I'm like, man, I can't, it's hot back there. How yeah. do I, what, what limits can a dog handle? How do you handle it? And how do other people have, have their trucks set up to that that do different hunting that do the hunt test that take their dogs with them in places where you either have to have a chain gang or or a kennel set up in your truck and and that's where we started going on because I, I actually modified my truck cap i bought a, a dropout window a slider glass window for my cab so you could connect the cab into the truck so we because we did talk about airflow mm-hmm and, you know, moving into summer training months, like that's, I, I feel that's something important. That's kind of where I started with listening more to the GDIY. And I thought, you know, I'm like, I don't know this guy, but I'm just going to like reach out. And I sent an email or a, a, an Instagram message or something. And you just sent me your info and said, hey, like, let's talk and yeah. let's talk this through. And I thought that that was fantastic. And Little would I know going into this journey with gun dogs is there's a lot of people out there like you, Nick, that are just more than happy to help share information. You just have to ask the right questions. Right. Yeah. That and that that you you nailed the you you hit the nail on the head right there is know what to ask, but also how to ask it. Right. You know, if if you literally just send, I get. I get a fair amount of messages from people, and I'm not knocking on on anybody. I'm there to help anybody that I can, but, you know, time is valuable. But Mm -hmm. it's you kind of get some people, they reach out, and they're just, you know, hey, I've been listening to you for, you know, a year now. And then they ask a question that it's like, you didn't even listen to today's episode, right? (laughs) So, and, uh, but then it's it comes across as an expectation. You know, I, I, I do get a lot of requests from people to where if I go on the Montana episode, that you referenced earlier is a perfect example. We're talking about hunting and how we found birds and how we solved this puzzle. I was bombarded by messages from people asking me where I hunted, right? And and they don't mean anything by it. It's brand new hunters. I get it. I was there years ago. I don't mean anything by it. I'm not going to be rude. But if you just reach out to somebody asking, where do you hunt, Mm -hmm. that that, that you're not going to get 
an answer. And that's honestly not the information that you're after anyway. If you truly want to figure this yeah. stuff out, you're not asking where to go hunt. It's, hey, how do I go about figuring out where I want to go hunt? You know, that's a yeah. different conversation. And to your point, you know, people like yourself, when you guys reach out respectfully and have some good questions and it's more more often than not, it's easier to just hop on the phone and have a phone call conversation with you than it is to yeah. Type a bunch of stuff back and forth, and and get stuff out of context, and all that that craziness. And and you don't know how much I appreciate that. I mean, you don't know how many times I call somebody and I get a text message back. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, no, hey, that. I wanted to talk to you. Not not yeah. if I wanted to text you, I'd send you that text. But, exactly. Uh, There's that, a reason that's I called society. you. <laughs> but but no, if you want to learn something and really be good at it, you have to make a study of it and being. Working with a with a bird dog, even any dog in any type of activity, you've got to learn and make a study of it. And then when you add the hunting aspect, you've got to study that too. I mean, uh, I, there's a couple podcasts. I reached out to one of your uh, collaborators up in Minnesota. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know who you're talking about up there, <laughs> but like I mean, because grouse are on my bucket list, and he does a lot of that stuff. So next thing you know, I'm ordering grouse books that we talked about <laughs> to learn about habitat where to find them what do they eat how do these birds tick so right you know opportunities are going to be limited we'd like to gain gain that knowledge exactly exactly and well you're in the driver's seat this week i know you know it okay. you're the host of this episode so you in your quest to to gain yeah. whatever knowledge or, or value out of me that yeah. you can possibly find if there is any any anywhere sure. hidden uh let's jump on into it man like i said I yeah. have not seen all your questions. You sent me a, a big, long list of them. I kind of hit the high tops, just like, okay, I'm yeah. comfortable talking on that. And then I just kind of yeah. left it alone because it, it needs to be an honest conversation. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, kind of, let's, let's just jump off. Hit me with some yeah. questions and yeah. let's get so, the party started. Uh, let, uh, I, first thing, we, we kind of touched on this real quick with my background, but what are your prerequisites to taking a dog into the field the first time? Just real, like the top three things or so that you feel are necessary before you take that dog out into the field. To me, are we talking the hunting field or training field? Because you kind of have to have the training field lead into the hunting field. Ah, so let, let's talk about the, the, the hunting field because I okay. was extremely apprehensive to take my dog out and there were some criteria that that I know now that you know. Hey, if you meet these couple criteria, I think you're good to go. But I'm not a real experienced guy, so if you're going to take a dog into the hunting field, what do you want to see? Like, what are the com yeah, like such as re I'll throw one out. Recall. You have yeah. to have good recall. No, absolutely, and that that is a great question because I remember when I first got into it. I, I had the same question and, and I get asked that all the time. For me personally, I don't require a lot of my dog to go hunting. What you what you just hit on is the main one, recall. If you take your dog out there hunting and you don't have the means or the tool to get get the dog back, there's obviously a problem there because let's face it, when we're in the training field, even if you can get your dog to do a decent recall in the training field or in your backyard or a fenced in field, whatever, that's different than being hunting because when you go hunting, you're, you're out there on land, you know, public land, wilderness, wild, whatever you want to call it, you're, you're not controlling the elements. You don't control the no. area. 
And so it's different from having a recall in your fenced-in backyard to having a recall out in the hunting field or hunting woods. It's completely different, and there's a lot more distractions. Hopefully you run into game. That's what you're out there trying to do. That's going to bring a different side of your dog out. If you're unfamiliar with your dog on game, that prey drive kicks in. All of a sudden, you don't mean anything to that dog. So when I say a quality recall is is the number one requirement, I mean a recall that has been proofed, not just trained, not just taught in the backyard or in a controlled environment, but you need to proof, proof it. You need to put it to the test. You need to put them on birds, recall them off of chasing a bird. You know, use it to your advantage. Go find some deer. You find out, is that dog going to gonna run trash? Is it going to run that deer? Is it going to run that rabbit? Because if it is, then by the time you figure out that you can't get your dog back when it's chasing Bambi through the woods, it's too late. Your time is yeah. not, you're not fixing it right then and there. That's going to be done in the training field, right? So that's the number one requirement. And then by extension on that, I... I'm not taking a dog hunting that isn't exposed to gunfire or birds. You know, the way I expose my dog to gunfire is with birds, but some people have different methods, whatever. I'm not going to go bird hunting if the dog isn't used to or seen a bird or gunfire yet. It kind of defeats the purpose of it if you're out there trying to find birds and shoot a bird, right? So to me, it's recall, it's bird exposure, and it's gun exposure, Ideally, I would prefer to have e-collar as well, so you have that kind of safety note net. Uh, but it's not required because you know a lot of people. They, some dogs are really young, depending on where they go. Uh, so you know, to me, that an e-collar is not required. But at the very least, I'm going to have a tracking collar on that young dog as the safety net to get it back. Right, especially if you're not a thousand percent confident in its recallability. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I think those are good points, Nick. And th- th- and those were things that I had I'd felt I've done a lot of uh, fun wa- what I call fun walks. And I think I think you've talked about fun walks before. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty fortunate that I live in a rural area, so it's easy for me to do a fun walk. Like I can go out in my backyard and literally be in a 60 acre crep field attached to some woods. But not everybody has that that no. that luxury. So if you don't have that in your backyard or have that luxury, you know, it's probably important for you to do, you know, starting this summer, starting right now, start doing those those fun walks to really see what what you're going to need to do before you bring that dog out into the field the first time. Oh, yeah, a thousand percent. And, and fun runs, that's fun runs. It, it's I mean, you can call them fun walks, fun runs, beer runs. I know a lot of people that, you know, carry a beer with them. People look at me like I'm crazy when they ask, you know, just talking to listeners or patrons, they'll ask like, well, you know, what do you like to do with your dog day to day? Like, what are you working on? What are you training? I'm like, man, my favorite thing to do is just go walk the woods and walk the fields Mm -hmm. with my dogs where we're not hunting. We don't have training birds out. We're not doing any of that. To me, it, it, it furthers your relationship and your bond with that dog. You get to know your dog and, and their uh, characteristics and actions and kind of what they like yeah. to do or don't do, you get to understand that a little bit better. And there's no pressure. You're just out there exploring things with yeah. your dog. And then you get the reps in when you do need to recall them or when you cast, the dog get, you, gets used to going left and right with you naturally. You don't have to go out there with a check cord and, and do the casting day in, day out. It's 
you know, we get these dogs to hunt, yes, but I get these dogs to have fun. And and it's in the name of this, the fun runs, the beer runs. Like those those are the moments that I look forward to mm-hmm. on a day, day-to-day basis with my dogs, whether that's even on a four-wheeler, if I'm pressed for time, or I can get out and stretch my own legs and, and get some walking in and get away from these crazy computer screens, right? Yeah, absolutely. And with preparing your dog, getting ready to do that first hunt, um, you know, I, I, you've you've used the adage. I use the adage quite a bit. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? Uh, until a situation happens, and you're like, oh, that's the way that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I one of the, one of the first flushes uh, I had with Ellie. My dad and I are out, and uh, holy cow, we got. 50 yards from the truck, you know, and this, this is Pennsylvania, you know, stock bird hunting. So this doesn't happen everywhere. 50 yards from the truck, we busted five birds all in a little pheasants in like all together. And, you know, there's birds going every direction. And, you know, of course, like, uh, dad shoots, I shoot, you're not watching the dog. You're, you're all of a sudden the dog's 300 yards down the field in a split second, it can happen fast, yes. really fast. So having that strong recall definitely is, is way important, but, but how fast it happens is I wasn't prepared for that, you know, yeah. um, it's fast. Uh, and so it's just like you said about doing the fun runs and preparing things happen at a different speed in the hunting field than they do in the training field for sure. Oh yeah, thousand percent, man, and that, and that's the more reps you can get, the more walks you can get in with your dog, the the better prepared you're gonna be. Your 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 eyes are gonna be open to just yeah. how fast, you know, a rabbit running across on the trail can can derail your your fun run, so to speak. And if you and if you don't have that mechanism to get your dog focused and grounded again yeah. and, and back on on track. Uh, you know, you, you can have a, a very yeah. stressful experience rather than an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to, you don't know what you don't know. One of the things that I had several notes on in my paper were, Hey, just being afraid of doing something wrong with your dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'd listened to a ton of podcasts. I have probably i've got all the walters books the the old style training books like yeah. the 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 family dog the gun dog the water dog you know there's i think there's four of them i've i've read all of them the uh the 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 docking book the wild rose book you know i read yep. all of those in the couple of weeks waiting for my litter then hopping all the podcasts you get a lot of great advice from professional trainers yeah and those guys are way past the point of you don't know what you don't know yes and they they're tuned into hey i'm going to have a dog for 60 days 6 months you know whatever that time period is and they're tasked with training a dog in a short period of time and having a quote unquote finished dog. And for, for the do it yourself guy, well, you're not really, you're not on that four month, six month, nine month time frame for having that finished dog. And you don't know a lot. Like mm-hmm. I still don't know a lot. Um, so those types of talks really made me afraid that, oh, if I do this, I'm going to screw the dog up. Or if I do this, this is going to set me back, uh, you, you know, too far. Like, you yeah. know, letting the dog um, uh, paralysis by. Play with certain. 
Yeah, paralysis yes. by analysis. It, ultimately, yeah. you, you, you're letting the fear of the unknown or something that you, I've just never done this before. I don't want to screw the dog up. Yeah. Dictate what you actually do with your dog, and and, and this is. This is common to everybody, and it stems from a point of you want to do things right. You actually care. So it's a good thing. If you don't have that concern or that worry, then I, w- I could argue that maybe you don't care enough. Maybe you shouldn't yeah. be training your dog, right? But yeah. you can't let it freeze you and stop you from training your dogs and because you don't know what you don't know until you know it, right? You have to go out yeah. there and do it. To, to figure it out and learn it. And and that's kind of where my standpoint was to where a lot of people get bogged down and they get they get within their corner to where it's like, oh, I don't know where to go here because I don't want to screw it up. Well, I would argue that you're screwing the dog up by not doing it, right? If you're just sitting there waiting in fear of not doing something and your dog just ages out or you're just losing valuable time to develop that dog, then technically you're you're – you're not bringing that dog to the potential that it could reach. And so I would say by your fear of screwing something up and so you just decide to do nothing, you're still screwing the dog up, right? I don't know if that's a fair thing to say say in your your opinion, but that's the way I look at it. And so when there's something that I'm unfamiliar with, that's this is why the podcast started, I'm going to go find the information. And to your point, you can read all these books over and over and over again. The books are great. I tell everybody, read every book. I get asked... Almost on a weekly basis by at least one listener. What book should I read? What book should I get? And my question is all of them. Just read all of them because it doesn't matter which two books you pick up. You're going to read the first one. By the end of it, you're going to be like, that makes a lot of sense. And then you pick up the second one and it's going to tell you to do the exact opposite of what the first one does. And so that's the confusing part when people are trying to figure this out. And that was the catalyst for this podcast. You just have to go figure out the information. And a lot of the time there's no way – to to figure out how to do some things without just putting your hands on the dog and going to do it. But by the fact, by the sheer definition of you caring about screwing up the dog, I'm not worried about you actually screwing up the dog because you care, right? Like if you yeah. see that something's not clicking, you see it's not working, that's when it's time to backtrack, pick up the phone, call a trainer, call, you know, me or whatever other podcaster or whoever – that you feel like has the answers, that's when you go get it. I mean, you go into it with a plan, but if the plan's not working, okay, well, we might need to adjust. And yeah. and so all that to say is don't let your fear of screwing up keep you from actually attempting it because either way, if you're not attempting it, you're still screwing it up. <laughs> do something. Yeah, do something. <laughs> do something. It, with be intention. cautious. Don't be reckless, but do do exactly. something. Exactly. Yeah. Be cautious. Yeah. Be cognizant of your ability and don't don't go do it just because, yeah. oh, Nick on GDIY said just like just figure it out. No, like pay attention to what your dog's yeah. telling you. And, and there's great there's great resources. I mean, yeah. I, I shy away from the 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 forum boards because yeah, you, just, yeah. you just see a lot, but there's some great resources out there. Some of them you have to pay for and it's worth the money. Absolutely worth yep. the money. I couldn't be where I'm at today without tapping into some of those resources. You're right. I mean, I've had three local trainers, like a puppy trainer an intermediate trainer, and then a professional trainer that helped do gun intro and bird intro with my dog. And then mm-hmm. I, and then I, actively use two different online resources that are paid subscriptions and 
you have to be careful with that because like you said there's different schools of thoughts on how to train the dog but you just have to be very you have to set up your goals and say okay hey i'm working on trained retrieve with my guy over here and i'm working on just uh maybe general obedience with someone else over there you know yeah. different they can be complementary they can they can conflict you have to be a little cautious of that but but again do something rather than do yeah do, do nothing you you can read your books until your dog dies it do, it doesn't yeah. do any good to compile all this information yeah. over and over and over again Reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to audio books, watching yeah. YouTube videos, whatever whatever it is that you do, oh, whatever yeah. f- format you like, yeah. you can literally do that until your dog passes away. I, absolutely, right. I, it, I have a background in shooting three gun <laughs> com, three gun competitions, and I did it on a national level. And man, I have buddies, and if they listen to this, they're going to know who they are that have bought the gear. 10 years ago and have been saying they're going to shoot a match. We're going to shoot right. three gun, but we don't think we're ready yet for 10 years. Yes. If they had a bird dog, that dog would be, you know, into retirement age by now. Well, and what's funny, the majority of the trainers I've had the privilege of knowing, you know, getting to know a lot of trainers from all over the country in different formats. And, and it's so funny how like there's so many common elements between all of them and so many of them yeah. like when they first started they're like man I didn't know what the heck I was doing and they'll tell you you have to fail to get better how you know the reason yeah. why they're successful and they're training to the level that they're at is because of the failures prior and it's going to happen you're going to fail you're going to fall short but it's fixable you know, as long as you're not being overly pressure, like if as long as there's no physical harm to the dog, like the odds are of you screwing the dog up to the extent that you can't bring it back from it, you really had to just be super negligent. These dogs yeah. have the genetics, they have the tools, they have the intelligence to where if you see something go that wrong, just don't do it again. Yeah. And then let's figure out a new course. But, you know, the again, to my previous point, by you asking that question, if you're concerned with it, that tells me you care. So you're not going to be that negligent. Yeah, that's that's good. So so let's jump back into getting our first hunt. Yeah, let's do <laughs> uh, it. Nick, we could probably talk for hours and nobody really wants a four-hour podcast, do they? Probably not, no. <laughs> so so well, the, the thing that piqued my – my interest was, uh, and I just found my notes here. So it was, uh, it was an extended outro you did on one seventy five. Do you know what okay. episode that was? Maybe, maybe not. But, no, I'd uh, have to look it up. But you use some terms, and I think so. You have how many dogs do you have, Nick? You have three I, dogs. Is that I have correct? three now. Yeah, three. And Rachel is your oldest dog, and how yes. old is she? She is nine, I think. I man, I get asked this all the time, and I, every time I'm like, I need to go look. She's not nine, going on ten, somewhere in that yeah. ballpark. Yeah. And then, and then Quinn is your new puppy. Is that yeah? Correct? So Quinn, is, she is eight or nine months old now. Lucy, she's around four or five. So, so, so you've kind of got a, a seasoned dog, an intermediate yep. dog, and a and a puppy, really. Yeah, pretty much. And and, and it's then, on purpose. It was intentional that way. Sure. So, so what, when, when you've, if you remember Rachel's first time in the field, Quinn's first time, and I think you just put a video up on working Quinn in the field. And, and, and then as far as like Lucy too, were there 
what were the big differences between your dogs? And this really goes back into different dog personalities and understanding your dog. Yeah. So were, were there big differences that you noticed between any of your three dogs? Yeah. I mean, I notice them every day to this to this day. It wasn't even just the first time in the field. Uh, now, granted, in all disclosure there or full disclosure, they're three different breeds. You know, and and even within the breeds, each dog is going to be different and have their own personality and characteristics. Even litter mates run different, right? Yeah. And and this is this is why it is so important. You hear people say all the time, "Know your dog, get to know your dog." That this isn't a talking point. This isn't one of those like you should get to know your dog. You know, and their feelings and their hopes and dreams. Like, no, if you want to be successful running your dog, you have to be able to anticipate what your dog is about mm. to do before they even do it. And so that com- yeah. goes back to the fun runs and watching it. And and then the, and the hunts, to your point, they hunt completely different than just a fun run. They train completely different. Lucy, my Munstie, yeah. she is different on planted birds as opposed to wild birds. She is different on the conditions every day. She's probably the more... Uh, go with you know she kind of changes based on day to day than than maybe rachel or even quinn at this point they're a little more consistent with how they act lucy you kind of have to know what headspace she's in uh and and how she actually hunts and runs that day and so when we talk tell everybody get Mm -hmm. to know your dog we're not just saying that that's not just a talking point the trainers that work these dogs at a high level they know what that dog is thinking before the dog even thinks it so, so what one thing you said, and it was just a real quick comment about uh, Quinn's. Uh, I don't know the exact quote, but Quinn's has Quinn's personality changed as a puppy from month to month, week to week. Yeah, uh, because I noticed that with with my puppy, we start doing something well, and as she matures, which maturity happens fast in these puppies, and I've. I got into a point where I felt like I was chasing myself trying to do training <laughs> that I was switching all the time. Like, like I, I kept telling myself, I'm like, what are you doing? Like w- one week you're trying to work on retrieves and the next week you're back to recall. And then yep. the next week after that, you're on to something totally different. Like you're back to healing. And, you know, so there was, I felt like there was rapid, um, I'm looking for adjustments. Yeah, good, good word. Rapid, yeah. rapid adjustments of, of me and the dog bouncing around, and I felt like I was reactive to the dog's personality versus trying to just somewhat stick with a training program and say, "Hey, these are the three things I want to accomplish over the next several months." Yes. Uh, and every time the dog's personality would change, I felt like I'd, I'd switch back and. Yes. Um, if I was going to have a puppy again, I would be less likely to chase myself around like that. <laughs> and, um, and that is all a fair point because, yes, these puppies develop at a very high pace mentally and, and physically. Their capabilities from somebody – I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the field with somebody and they're like, oh, the, the, she, she's a puppy. She can't run away from me. You know, she, she, and then all of a sudden you look up and they're you – know, over the horizon over there. And I mean, just when a lot, when a switch flips with some of these young puppies, that, that, that switch flips. Okay. Yeah. And, and I want to go back cause you, you use one key word there, uh, that kind of tells me a lot 
okay? And whether it was intentional or not, I'm going to go back to uh, Martha Ann from Webfoot Outdoors. She said this years ago, and it's uh, stuck with me. You said that you react, okay? When we train dogs, we don't want a dog that reacts. We We want a dog that responds. I say the same thing about handlers. If you're reacting to a dog that does something, that's just a pure emotional response, okay? I just want the response. I don't want a reaction, if you if you're intentional, you have a plan. You you kind of know where your dog's at. You're gonna respond to what the dog does. You're not gonna react, and then then it's just like, oh man, where do we go from here? And like you said, that's where you kind of end up, kind of bouncing all over the place. What are we working here? What are we working here? If you yeah. go out with a clear training goal in mind and an objective, you can kind of anticipate where what that dog's going to do, even with them developing as fast maturely and physically as they are because you're so cued in and clued into how that dog is developing and and its personality that you're you're going to understand and it goes again it goes back to know your dog anticipate before they actually do the the activity if that makes sense i i'm laughing right now because when you say about the trainer or the handler reacting. Uh, my dog is way smarter than I am about doing dog <laughs> about doing dog things. Right. She knows what to do. I have no idea. So, th- what a true statement of a, a lot of this process has been me learning how to train myself to talk and think dog. Yes. Yep. Uh, and I didn't come up with that. That was that was Martha's thing. And and I mean I remember that was. Uh, the, the camp counselor episode from years ago when we did the GDIY training camp, it's, and it's funny how, when you talk to these people that sticks with you, but that is true. Mm -hmm. Our goal, both as handlers and trainers from our dogs should be to Mm -hmm. respond, not to react. Yeah. Uh, It's so true. And I am still learning that. (laughs) Yep. We all Um, are. So, so some of the words I've heard you used in other episodes about watching a dog, observing a dog. So let's just build on learning your dog. Yeah. Uh, some of those words were uh, phrases like hitting cover, yeah. watching my dog hitting cover. Um, does, do they have a high nose, a low nose, tail position, head position? Um, one, one word that you used was speed of movement. So, so, <laughs> so those are all words and, and phrases that I'm like, uh, you know, having been in the field for less than a year, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm picking up on some of those things, but t- tell me about you put your dog on the ground for the first time right. and you're observing what she does. Yes. I mean, so are you more looking for to see what she does so you can make corrections in training versus making corrections while you're doing that first hunt? Uh, bo- both kind of in, in a way. So I'm going to train it and then I don't enforce anything in the hunting field that I haven't worked in the training field. Okay, so that's why I say both kind of. It's mainly the training field, but when I go hunting. That's a great point. Don't ask your dog to do something in the field that you haven't asked them to do in the training field. Short grass leads to the long grass, ultimately. If you can't do it in your backyard with the dog at your feet, you can't expect them to do it in the hunting field when they're 100 yards away, hopefully searching for a bird, right? So the way I come at this is, is is there's a lot of terminology you just threw out there, obviously, but but as a as a handler and especially first time handlers, the 
the way I would start breaking this down, and I wish somebody would have done this to, to me when I first started out, is don't try and start figuring out each one of those behaviors all at one time. You're drinking from a fire hose. You're going to get frustrated. It's like, man, I don't know anything. Get frustrated, throw your head on the ground and go back inside, right? Concentrate on what the dog is telling you when they're actually communicating mm. something with you. And as a first-time handler, something that you should start really trying to focus in on and, and learn and appreciate is those COBs, the changes of behavior. That's them communicating mm. to us what's actually happening. And uh, the, the easiest COB to call out for a, for a bird dog handler is the dog is running and then all of a sudden – when their head jerks to the right or left, they come across a crosswind and they just jerk to the right or left, you're automatically going to assume they smelled game. Whether that's a bird, rabbit on a young dog, whatever it is, it could be anything. But it doesn't matter what it actually is. The dog told you they smelled something. So you know they picked up on something. The wind is blowing from right to left. There's going to be something over to our right. So then you can prepare yourself. Hopefully it's a bird. Hopefully the dog goes on point or in your case flushes the bird. But that's not always the case. They might be popping on the scent of a rabbit or a deer or a porcupine, unfortunately, whatever it is. But the the deal is, is that dog told you, I smell something without having to obviously tell you with words, hey, dad, I smelled something. Their actions and their body language tells you, and then you can prepare yourself for a correction if you think it's needed. Maybe you're not ready to go into that bird if it's a training field. Maybe maybe the setup or what you're trying to do, maybe you need to come in from upwind instead of downwind, stuff like that. Again, getting to know your dog includes getting to know what your dog tells you, but that change of behavior is is the key thing. When they start shutting down, usually a dog, when they start shutting down, it's not from like one rep that just maybe they got hit too hard. Maybe you accidentally hit it with hit the wrong button. You can so slowly see their enthusiasm go down. Their ears start kind of drooping. Their tails down a little bit. They're telling you everything you need to know. And so when mm-hmm. when handlers are like, "Man, I I just don't know what my dog's thinking," pay attention to it better. It's all there. And this is the beauty of a training partner because sometimes we get so caught up in what we want to accomplish with these dogs and we start tunnel vision. We don't see what the dog's actually telling us. That's when your training partner, hopefully you guys have a relationship to where you guys can be honest with each other respectfully. You tap them on the head and be like, hey, man, put your dog up. I've had friends tell me, hey, you need to go put your dog up. I tell friends that. To me, a, a good quality training partner has to be able to be comfortable telling you, hey, you're getting a little out there. You've been going too long. You're being too hard. We get caught up in the moment. That that good check down is necessary, but it all stems from, again, learning your dog's behavior and what they're actually telling you. And then that leads you into all the other terminology you're talking about, how they're running, the speed, all of that stuff. Because the dogs generally, they're not just going to go out there and change how they're acting without some kind of outside factor, Mm. if that makes any sense at all. That uh, scent, scent probably being the the biggest one. Oh, yeah. Scent, Uh, sight, hearing, all all of that. I mean, all of that matters. I mean, you, you, you can see a change of behavior. When you go out, the dog hasn't smelled or seen anything, but a gun mm-hmm. fires off in the back. 
right? Yeah. You see them, oh man, they get that snort. They pop up. They're, They're ready. ready to roll. Let's go, they man. Are. Like they, they just took their pre-workout. They're ready to go. Uh, same thing, you know, it, there are some training stop to flush. You need to come in from upwind where they don't smell the bird. All of a sudden, the, the side of it matters, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why the colors of the bumpers when you're training these dogs matter. Vision matters. Hearing ma- All of that stuff. When we talk about controlled environments, lower distractions when you don't need them, mm-hmm. raise them when you do need them. All of that stuff matters. You're working with numerous senses on the dog. You're not just working with one. Just because we want the dog to go point or find a bird, they're going to follow their nose. But that doesn't that doesn't discount all of their other senses on the way to that bird. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's certainly fun to watch and to get to learn and know your dog. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, probably the, the best memory I've had is – and it was just a training scenario doing gun and bird intro, shooting that first bird over top of my dog and having her find that bird. Yeah. And uh, and like like you said, that extra sense, that hearing sense, every time she hears a gunshot and she perks up, I'm like, we're doing it all over again. Like it's 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 like it's our first time all over again. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so so to to key in on the those senses, so the one topic I want to hit on is that sight sense, that that seeing seeing a bird, marking a bird. Yes. One of the things that caught me by surprise during during both my first hunt and several consecutive hunts after that was marking birds and how important it was for me as the hunter, me as the handler to mark that bird. Um, you know, even out in the training field, running bumpers bird intro with the dog you know we're kind of in short grass uh some taller grass but shooting that first bird in tall crp grass some four foot tall five foot tall grass and the chaos ensues and you've got this dog that you think is the best dog in the world and it's it's my retriever it's a labrador retriever then all of a sudden she doesn't have a clue where this bird went. Right. And you know what? I don't either because I didn't mark I didn't mark the bird. Mm-hmm. Um so as in in terms of teaching your dog to mark, does that come more through on in the training field or or more through a little bit of training and a little bit of maturity and experience? Uh, both. I mean, wh- when you're training and, and you're progressing with a dog, obviously they should be maturing, you know, by, by age as well as just repetition, right? You know, as we do more reps and we do the same thing over and over again, no matter what it is in life, we should become more proficient and quote unquote mature right. in that in that skill, I guess, it, it, if that makes any sense at all. But so marking... Marking, it's it's one of those things. I'm not I'm not the best resource to yeah. talk about marking. I would you know sure. I, I would suggest people go talk to Bob Owens uh, uh, over at Lone Duck for for that. But mm-hmm. from what I gather and what I know and, and my limited experience in marking, it's it's a lot of genetics, right? There's a there's mm-hmm. a reason why labs are known for being labs, and it's not just because of the word retriever at the end. They are genetically bred to have a certain level of cooperation with you. They're bred to have a certain marking capability to where 
I can sit there and I can go in my backyard and I can sit there and and get Quinn, my setter, to sit at hill, heel and watch bird after bird, bumper after bumper, and she's going to get used to starting to look downrange. She's going to start yeah. getting used to look. But you know what? Her marking capability, her eyesight is not, should not be to the level that a true, a good bred lab should be. Conversely, that lab's nose or finding capability should not be as good as my setter's nose and finding capability, right? So you you have to kind of be honest with what you're starting with here. I'm not yeah. again. I just said you can you can train that setter to yeah. look downrange, but at the end of the day. That that dog can yeah. be looking downrange, and you can send that dog. At the end of the day, you're still sending a setter downrange as opposed to a yeah. lab downrange. Yeah, and the the real reason that I brought that that point up is the emotional highs and lows that you go through <laughs> with your dog, and setting realistic expectations for yourself. Yeah. So I so I, what I would say out of that conversation is. If you have a new pup and you're a new handler, you know, if you drop a bird and now your emotions are super high and that's a great feeling and then your dog can't find the bird, don't be upset. Like, don't let that ruin your day. Make your best effort to go find that bird. But but be honest with yourself, like you said, and set realistic expectations. Yeah. And and that's in relation to the individual dog and maybe even breeds capability. But also you, you have to factor in what's actually going on on that repetition. Like you just said, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack and, and provide context in this situation to where you talked about you can work and mark in the short grass. But mm-hmm. then you go into the CRP field and not only can the dog not see it, but you can't see it. I think so many people fail to realize that. We, you know, let's just say that we're all six feet tall. We're looking at it from a six foot vantage point to where we can look down range and we can possibly see that bird or that bumper laying in the field out there. Well, get down on that dog's level. Get down yeah. on, you know, sit, sit your butt flat on the ground. Get about yeah. even with that dog's head level and look through the field and tell me what you can see. It's not even just how far it is. It's oh, not it's even where it's landing. Different. That grass can go over if you have a three or four mm. foot tall field and or cattails, that mm. that might be obstructing the visual of that dog from even seeing that bumper or bird fly through the air, let alone where it landed. Mm. Right. And so you have to you have to keep everything realistic. And again, I can't I can't stress this enough. That's where your training partners come in. That's where your hunting partners come in because what you just described so many of us and it's happened to all of us. It's happened to me numerous times within the past hunting season mm. to where our expectations and hopes get so high that when it doesn't go to plan, you can become so deflated or even frustrated that you kind of lose sight of of the actual picture as a whole. And yeah. it's not fair to the dog. It's not fair to you. And and you can spiral out of control and really kind of, I don't, I, overreact is ultimately the yeah. easiest way to put it. And that's where your buddies, your training and hunting partners should step in and say, hey, man, yeah. chill out. Now, if you say your piece, if you're like, hey, go put your dog up and, and your buddy is like, no, I'm, I'm, it's his dog. It's America. He, you know, yeah. let him do it. You said your piece. But 
I, I would urge people, don't be afraid to speak up in that situation. Yes. Now, I'm not saying do that if a, if somebody is training a dog and you just disagree with the method. But if you start seeing the handler come a little unraveled, getting a little frustrated, you know, hacking the dog a little too much, not even giving the dog a chance to work something out, that's when you step in and be like, hey, take a deep breath. Maybe you go put the dog up if it's a training field. Yeah. Or if it's a hunting field, <laughs> like, hey, let's stop. Let's have a water break. You know, let's let's pull yeah. out that oatmeal cream pie and have a snack here in the field before we keep going down down the field, right? It's yeah. stuff like that. Figure out what you need to do if you're having a hard time keeping your emotions in check and becoming deflated from a bad experience like that. Figure mm-hmm. out what grounds you, okay? And and I've already told you what grounds me is I get so laser focused is whoever I'm in the field with. I kind of rely on them a lot to bring me down. Not that it happens all the mm. time, but it does happen if you go out in the field enough with your dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And th- those are all in- important things. And I, one of the things that made me get a hold of you for, for, for these topics was where are my expectations? What expect? I just think on, in the past six months, eight months, I've had so many expectation changes. And now I'm at a point where I say, hey, that wasn't fun. That didn't work. What can I do differently to make that fun? Exactly. And one of those things is, you know, there there's an emphasis with, especially with waterfowl dogs, where guys say, hey, I took my dog out, but I don't even take a gun. I just sit in the blind with my buddies. Right. And th- And that can apply to the upland field as well. And I mean, if you're if you're struggling with, you know, working the e-collar, working your dog, trying to handle your gun, gun safety, you know, moving around the field, you know, grab your buddy and say, hey, uh, let's go hunting. But you're going to be my shooter. Yeah. Well, and I mean, ultimately, anybody that's been in the training field and in the upland space for very long, whether it's a nav to training day. A lot of groups and chapters have the rule that if your dog is the one being worked, you don't carry a shotgun. You focus on handling your dog. And that's that's the biggest benefit to training groups and chapters. Whatever organization you want, that is the biggest benefit to where you're going out. You set up the stage however you want with the, with whatever goal or intentions that you, you're after. You set that up and you control the field with the help of other people gunning. You shouldn't see that bird get shot. If, you, if you're the handler in the field and you're working steadiness and you're focused on kind of developing your dog, you theoretically shouldn't know where that bird went down at because the gunner should shoot it. You should be focused in on your dog and then turn around. And, you know, that's when you ask the, the gunners, did it hit? Did, did you hit? Did it go down? Is it in that yeah. direction? Is it a fair retreat? Stuff like that. Yeah. Now, obviously, you get to a certain point to where you have to simulate you're you're the one gunning, whether you're carrying the the blank or the the dummy gun, mm-hmm. and you know then then you start seeing that. But if you're in that the initial steps of steadiness and, and you're trying to extend it, focus on the dog. Don't focus on the bird. We've all seen birds get shot. I mean, I know that you spent you know. Seven to fifteen to sometimes eighty dollars. It seems like in in today's day day and age on how much a bird costs. I understand that's real money, but you're spending that money on training your dog. So let's focus yeah. on the actual dog. I don't care if that bird flies off. I'm still working steadiness. Yeah, yeah, and keep, keeping yourself focused on the dog and keeping up with the dog in the field. I mean that that's real important. That right where you just said was one of my. I I remember probably my second hunt 
Um, I'm hunting with my dad. We flush a bird. We both shoot and we're watching the bird. And for, you know, just a second, it, I was not a dog handler. And all of a sudden you, the bird drops, you're excited. You're like, where's my dog? Yes. You know, well, she's still running down the field in the direction the bird was flying, and she's 150 yards past where the bird dropped. And all of a sudden, your heart sinks, and you're like, I just lost my dog. Yeah. <laughs> where that dog go? And thankfully, our recall's good, and she came back. <laughs> right. But, that's uh, that's a very good point. I mean, I have to ask everybody. Like, I tell everybody, NAVDA, if, you, if you're in the pointing dog world and, and you're a member of NAVDA, whether you have any intention of becoming a judge or not, go to their handler's clinic. Mm-hmm. You will learn more of not only like what the dogs do but and the, what the judges are looking for, but, mm-hmm. but you really learn a lot of tips and tricks to help you become a better trainer. And this was one yeah. big one where if you go to that, you're going to have a judge. They, they all do it. Okay, Jeez. from from my understanding, I've only been to one. I've I've helped with another one, but I think all the judges running these clinics ask the same question when the first bird gets up, and they're like, "All right, where'd the bird go down?" And you're gonna have everybody raise their hand, and be like, "Oh, it went over there," and so and so shot it or whatever. And the judge is gonna look at you like, well, "Why do you know that?" If you're judging the dog, you should be watching the dog, right? You shouldn't yeah. know. You shouldn't be watching the bird because if you're gonna yeah. grade my dog on the level of steadiness and when they broke did it break on the shot did it break on the fall what caused that dog steadiness to break and if you're watching that bird you're not seeing what caused that dog to break and you can literally by extension take that into the training field with you to where if that's how the judges do it and you're you're the one handling it you're the one training that dog you have to know at what point that dog is hitting its breaking point and and leaving point does that make sense Absolutely. Well, one of my questions for you was, hey, and a couple of weeks ago when we started talking, I was kind of thinking about getting into like the AKC hunt tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of groups out there, NAVDA, HRM, UKC, UKC, you know, there there's a number of different groups out there. And one of my questions was going to be, hey, am I missing out? as a dog handler and trying to learn more about my dog and the gun dog world by not being a part of one of those organizations. I, that's, that's going to be left up to each individual person. I can only tell you my thought process on this is, and it's developed over the years. When I first got into this, I I was real heavy into NAVDA and I'm still involved in NAVDA. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's still a very valuable uh, organization, the chapter training days. I mean, it's, it, it put my learning curve on a, on a steep incline. I'm not going to say everything I learned was great, right? But yeah. sometimes learning stuff that, you know, you don't need to know is also just as valuable as the stuff you do, do need to know. But I went into it to where I'm like, okay, hunt test. It's against a standard. Uh, there's a lot of value into that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, well, then I kind of went into I only care about hunting, and, and that's still my main top yeah. priority is hunting first and foremost with lesser of an emphasis on on hunt tests. Now, as I start talking to people and I start kind of seeing the value in the competition side of things and what that means to the breeding and the people that are really out there trying to chase and create that unattainably perfect dog, yeah. the value in competition, it, it, it's just another – guiding light for you as, as an individual mm-hmm. 
to try and hit that next level. Now, obviously, everybody's motivation and intensity is going to be different in, in this field. And I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say you're missing out on it, per se. I'm going to say that there's a whole different side of the gundog world that you may be missing out on that you might really enjoy if you don't at yeah. least go attend one of the events. Whether you participate in it or not, go attend it. See what it, what it mm-hmm. is for you. And attend multiple ones. You could just go on a bad weekend and, you know, maybe you have mm-hmm. a bad set of judges, maybe the club putting it on, maybe it's not the right yeah. fit for you. But don't go to, like, one AKC event and then write off all AKC events because you had a bad time. Go yeah. to two or three or four in different venues, different different types of events, and see if there's there. Now, if you look at it, you read into it, and it's it's not for me. I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to do my hunt test. Then cool. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of the country that we live in and the opportunities that we have. You can do whatever that you want to do with these dogs. I'm just going to say that if 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 you're sitting there preaching that you need to read every single book, watch every single video, listen to every single podcast, I would say yeah. go actually check out all the different venues and, and, and programs yeah. out there before you knock it and say it's not worthwhile. Yeah, I I had a real change of heart and an eye-opening experience when I did my chucker challenge last weekend because I was I was under the impression I just want to hunt with my dog. I want a good dog, a good hunting dog that is obedient and works well, helps me find game and and helps me recover game and be a responsible hunter to to not only just have a better hunting experience but better and much better game retrieval. And I went to this chucker challenge and there were some phenomenal dogs. And maybe you could see the same thing doing the hunt test on that hunt environment, but to see those dogs that have been through that training to be senior hunters, master hunters, and then perform in the hunting environment, those dogs were amazing. And this was one week ago, and this weekend I'm going to my first group training event with uh, uh, some uh, some other guys that are running labs and flushers. That you know we're we're going to pursue the the AKC Junior Hunt Test to get started and see see how that goes. Yeah, and, and, and stuff like that. Your your experience. You just said that like you were you were surprised, and now you have an entirely new outlook on it. Yeah. And that that's all I'm telling people. Go check it out because. I was so adamant just a few years ago to where it was hunt and hunt test. I didn't care about mm-hmm. competition. And then I've had a few conversations and, and episodes with people to where, no, the competitions, that's that, that's the proving grounds. You want to sit here yeah. and talk about I'm training my dog to a high level. I'm out there chasing the perfect dog. Prove it. And and yeah. I haven't even entered that. I've gone to a bunch of them. I'm planning on doing that uh, this upcoming year with Quinn specifically. But whether you win or lose, go 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 put your money where your mouth is, right? And, and that's kind of where I'm coming at this, and I, and it's exciting. Like I'm I'm getting a little worked up again on, on it. It's giving me a clear goal. But I, as far as testing and trialing is concerned, I have very limited experience in the testing world. But trialing, I have zero. I haven't even entered. Uh, an actual trial. I have the plans, but there are much more knowledgeable or experienced people in that in that realm than me. Uh, one of which, Terry Ann Fernando, she has the Accidental Bird Dog 
podcast now. Go check that out. She's really breaking down the different field trials and stuff like that. That would be a good resource because as somebody that's just now starting to look into trials and competitions, I've been listening to her breakdown on it, and she's she's really going through like all the rules and, and advice and tips that she's learned along the way. So if there's somebody listening to this that, that is intrigued by the trial world or hunt test world, go go give her a listen because she she has more experience than me in that that realm. To whereas I've mainly been hunting focused for years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for sure, and, it, and it's I. To, to me, it's just interesting. Hey, if you do want that dog, go test it. See how you're doing. Yeah. Uh, for me, and part of part of that eye-opening experience was okay. I ran my I ran my dog in the puppy division and with other puppies, and we were like mid pack. I'm happy with that. She did so good. I'm the one that lost the points. I'm the one that missed the birds. I'm the one that had bad cues. Uh, but we also did a run in the adult division with all the dogs, and well, yeah, we got last place. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, I, don't, it, I don't know if we were the only puppy in that division, but uh, yeah, we got last place, and I guess it should be humbling. I didn't feel bad about it at all, but it's like now I know. Hey, uh, you know, may, I, I get to see next year where we stack up in that same competition against a lot of the same dogs. Yeah. And and you should you shouldn't be downtrodden if you don't work up to a certain level that you would hope. I mean again back to our previous points on expectations. That applies to the trialing field as well and I've been to enough of these. I I can at least vouch on this from from my anecdotal experiences. Yeah. People there, there are all kinds of different levels of dogs out there. And yes, we're out there. At, it, it's a competition. You're going to go out there. You want to win. You want to have the best dogs. But I've seen some very questionable dog work at some of these trials from dogs that other people vouch for them. It's like, hey, last week you should have seen that dog in Kentucky. It tore it up. I mean, the field is still on fire from that dog. And then you watch it today and it's like, man, does that dog know what a bird is? Yeah. You know, just like us, you know, all of us have our own days, all of us have our own times, and you're going to have good days and bad days. So it's even the the successful people in that world, they're still going to lose from time to time. Yeah. And, and, and so once you kind of wrap your head around that to where every single person that's on that podium that won today has lost exponentially more times in the past. So don't feel yeah. bad about going and losing. You know, don't worry about that. Just uh, kind of yeah. like you in hunting. Just go do it, and and that's that's yeah. where I'm headed. That's my yeah. that's my intention and goal on my yeah. part. And 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 the interesting thing, you know, just go do it. I, I I've tried. I don't. I haven't lowered my expectations, but I try to have a more open mind about what my expectations would be. If I start getting upset, I do step back and think, well, should I be upset about that? Why, you know, and yeah. make the correction. I mean, when our chucker challenge last weekend, I, you know. The, the best thing that got me so excited was uh, our first run. Like I, I made more mistakes than the dog, but you know, our first run Ellie did. Okay. Maybe a little rough. We did four runs, which was a lot for a dog in one day. Yeah. And you know, our first run, I was a little rough, but she did. Okay. Our second run, 
she was looking good. Our third run, it was better. And our last run, she was on fire. She nailed it. She found uh, this was our last run was the adult division. She found all six birds. They did six nice. birds in a field. And I, I, I was like on cloud nine. <laughs> and <laughs> so, you got to you got to ride those waves. You know, there's going to yeah. be weekends and tests that you do great. And you're like, man, you're you're on cloud nine. And then the next week it's down and, yeah. and you can't. You can't get too upset just like you can't get overly excited yeah. on the successes is is just ride the waves. It's like everything yeah. in life, you know, it's it, you're going to have yeah. the good and the bad. And and that that's ultimately something that's really helped me out in life overall is yeah. the, these dogs and doing this stuff with the dogs. Yeah. It's it's honestly mm. honestly helped my patience in a lot of ways uh, by just learning how to ride those wave tops. Sure. So, so Nick, I want to ask you my big hunting question. Have, have at it. I was, I was about to ask as we start kind of. Where you got to wrap things up. We're starting yeah. to get, get a little long on time, but uh, expectations or what to do. Th- this has been my big question my whole first year. I'm sure it happens in, it's going to happen in every year. And what, what do you do with a puppy or maybe with a seasoned dog? You notice that change in behavior, your dog picks up a hot scent, and you learn to notice your dog's on a running bird. Mm -hmm. That bird is kinetic. It's actively changing its location, but not flying in the air. Maybe this is more of a flushing dog versus a pointing dog, but what do you do? So let's start with the puppy phase. Your dog's on that running bird. Do you call him off? Do you call your dog off and saying – and because in my mind, I'm like, wow, uh, the, your dog's on that bird, and that's good. She did her job. She found that bird. She's on that scent. Do I stop her because you're just going to keep going farther and farther away, or do you do a recall? How do you handle that situation? What are the pros and cons of calling your dog off a running bird versus letting them experience that chase? Yeah. Fair question. It's a, it's a great question. I Obviously, I have more experience on pointing dogs, and this is just my take on it. This is how I look at it is I'm not – I don't like calling pointing dogs especially off of birds, whether they're running, even chasing until I get to that level that I, I really have to start mm-hmm. taking the chase out to, to steady up. I don't like calling the dog off of a bird. First off, if you're that concerned – about your dog tracking or chasing a running bird, there's yeah. there's a check cord for that. It's literally in the name of it. It checks up the dog, right? Okay. But yeah. even if you don't have the check cord on it, to me, I look at it as that the stop in that dog is supposed to be built in. And so if that mm. bird is running and that dog is chasing that running bird, ideally a wild bird, okay, I'm not stopping it. And I just know as it's as it's unfolding, I'm going to let that dog learn by the best teacher in the field or in the woods. And that's that wild bird. They're not catching a wild bird. They're just not. A real wild bird, they're not going to catch it. I know there's somebody listening and be like, oh, well, my Fifi caught one three years ago. Okay, well, how many other wild birds have they not caught? You know, you're talking yeah. about one out of a thousand, okay? <laughs> so I get that it has happened, but statistically speaking, it's not going to happen. Your dog, your puppy is not going to catch that bird. So I'll, yeah. I'm going to let it play out. And this is what I talk about yes. when when so many people here only shoot pointed birds. 
you know, that that's a different conversation in of itself because it's like, well, what does that mean? The dog went on point, then came off of it. It's running. Do you shoot that bird or, or what? Me personally, I'm going to let that bird bust. I'm going to let it fly away. And that dog just got a very important lesson from that bird that I can't teach very well in the training field. It is a point of conversation and topic with me and a ton of my friends to where every year we come up with this crazy, off-the-wall, nonsensical way of trying to simulate an actual real wild bird scenario in the training field. And you can't do it. You can get lucky, you can you can pull flight feathers, but then they can't fly at the end. Yeah. You, you, you can drag them with a fishing line and a reel at the end to try and keep boots in off of it. Well, how do you unhook the pheasant without you going up to it? Right? Like, yeah. Trust me, I've come up, we've, we've thought of a, a million dumb ways of trying to do this, and you can't simulate it. So when I'm in the wild bird field yeah. and I get that opportunity— it's now a training session. It is now mm-hmm. a training rep. I'm going to let yeah. them bust. And you know what? If they dr- if they pull up and they relocate and they slam a point, I don't care if they actually hit a point and that bird flushes before I get there. As long as they establish a point again, I'm going to shoot that bird for them. And it, and it yeah. teaches them. And yeah. just just by the reps, if you make mm-hmm. the bird the reward, if, if your dog cares about the bird in its mouth, they're going to realize with enough repetitions that – Mm-hmm. When I check up for for dad to get here and shoot that bird, if I reestablish point or I stay within gun range, I get that bird in my mouth. In your case, if you're flushing dog, if I keep chasing that bird out of gun range and I didn't get that bird in my mouth, I didn't get what I wanted. So I'm going to work closer to dad, right? Yeah, absolutely. I try, I try and keep myself out of the relationship between bird and dog as much as I possibly can. Okay, yeah. I think it's Mo Lindley that puts it, uh, I want as little fingerprints on my dog as possible. We have to do it. We have to inject ourselves at some point depending on our own individual goals and yeah. expectations. But to me, that's not the time to do it in the actual training field because if you manually woe your dog into a point then you go shoot it, you just created a couple potential th- situations with that dog, whether you intended to or not, to where that dog's oh, he's going to tell me when to stop. And then he never learns how much pressure and distance to, to give that bird, right? Yeah. I, want, I want the dog that I don't have to steer. I don't want to have to control my upland dog. I want them to understand birds. I want them to be able to respond to birds. What are they doing? I want the thinking dog. If I have the dog that relies on me to tell them where to go, how far to run, when to come back, how to pressure a bird, I might as well be the dog, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to go out there, and this is what I talk about, be intentional, go out there with, with a, a mindset. Hopefully you can shoot a bird, but think of the bigger picture. You let that bird fly today so that next year when you're in the same situation, you're bagging those birds, and you're not having to inject yourself in the equation because – especially in the grouse woods, you can't always see what's going on. So how do you know that you're telling them to stop? You don't even know for sure unless you saw the bird run and that it's an actual bird, right? So if you don't know for sure what that dog is chasing or doing or where that bird is, how can you tell that dog how to react correctly? You know, and and it doesn't have to be the grouse woods. It's the same thing in the cattail sloughs. You go anywhere in, in the country and chase late season pheasants and cattails, you can't see anything. You can't see the dog. You can't see the bird. And you have no idea what's in those cattail sloughs. So, again, 
I'm always going to err. I, I shouldn't say always. That's a dangerous word, always and never. Usually, nine times out of ten, I am not going to inject myself in that equation. I'm going to let that dog figure it out. And if that bird, if they kick it up at most, you know, I'll let the dog figure it out. They kicked it up. You're not getting it. I'll even let them chase for a little bit. Now, if it's a continued problem, I'll start woeing them or giving them a sit whistle or whatever, in your case, on a flushing Mm -hmm. dog, after that bird gets up so that they understand, ah, crap, I screwed up. And then you bring them back down to earth. You ground them a little bit. Let them think about it. Call them back in. Water them. And then continue mission. Charlie, Mike, let's go. Let's go find a new bird. You screwed that up. Let's go. Let's go do this. You do it right. Then I'm gonna miss, and I'm gonna screw that next bird up. Right? Like it, it's a give take. We all screw it up. The dogs are gonna screw it up. We're gonna screw it up. It's how it's how it goes. It's the dance we do. Yeah, yeah. And and that's probably one of the most exciting things that I'm looking forward to next season coming up after doing a. I mean, this is really gonna be my first full training season watching watching my dog grow with the learnings on those on those birds out in the wild because i started to notice some of that correlation between during the chase about how she reacts and how that behavior changes and uh, some of it was starting to develop in nice directions but our season wasn't long enough and her maturity wasn't long enough to really see that change so that's one of the things i'm Definitely looking forward to seeing in the next couple months from now. Well, you didn't ask me, but just just to kind of skip ahead and let you know, the seasons are never long enough. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, just 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 starting there. But yeah, man, it, it's one of those things. And yeah. and again, everybody's different. What they want out of their dog is different. You know, somebody may not give two two craps about their dog going on point and shooting bird. Maybe they only yeah. want to go shoot the bird. I'm not here to tell you how to hunt your game. I don't I'm not here to tell you how to hunt yeah. with your dog. I'm just giving you my my interpretation, my best the best advice I can give in this scenario to where if you do care, if you're listening to this podcast trying to make your dogs better, I'm gonna assume that you actually care about the dog work in the relationship with the bird. If you don't care, then you're probably not listening to this podcast. But all that to say is, again, this is America. This is your dog. If you want to go hunt your dog, if you want to go shoot a busted busted bird in front of a pointing dog, I don't care, okay? Just don't judge me for me having that higher expectation with my own dogs is all I ask. Yeah. So on on some of those lines— yeah, Nick. There, there. I I just listened to the whole Woe series. I'm a flushing yeah. dog guy, but I listened to the whole Woe series, and my mind is spinning. That's a whole different set of questions on how how some of the Woe training applies to all dogs, flushing dogs, teaching that pressure on, pressure off, developing that bond, not just for a pointing dog. So um, yeah. I'm sure an experienced dog handler is going to say, Mike, you're crazy. Like, hey, slow down, slow your roll. But uh, uh, I, I think there's some correlations that can be made between the woe training and all dogs, not just pointing dogs. And yeah. I, I would be interested in hearing uh, a more experienced uh, flushing dog hunter, maybe a, a handler that how they relate some of the woe training to, to flushing dogs. Yeah. Uh, that, so, that, that in general, there, there's a ton of information on upland dogs pointing upland dogs. Yeah. And I feel like I've been starved for information on flushing upland dogs. Yeah. There, there are some guys 
out there that that do it, and I need to get them on a little bit more. But this is so the world. There's more retrievers and, and flushing dogs in the world than there are pointing dogs. I would say in, in the average home. But when you enter the upland world, that the flushing dog kind of becomes the minority as opposed to the pointing dog is, you know, upland, it's, it seems like yeah. you have more pointing dogs and I could be wrong in that. I, I haven't done surveys. I haven't done my research. Okay. I'm just taking a stab in the dark here, but I, I, I'm reminded of, I was one of the, the training camp we did last year and we had a couple people with labs and Boykin sign up and, and I was talking to Mark Gowron. I'm like, is this going to be an issue for the trainers to be dealing with, pointing and flushing he's like no and and it kind of surprised me a little bit like i thought like okay we're gonna have to group all the flushing dogs in one and and no it just we still grouped them by age and he what he said to me is like it's still a dog right the dog training is the dog training there's just no point in it It, everything else is kind of the same other than how how much they range and there's no point yeah. So, so like, it, it really kind of took that moment for me to kind of get more comfortable in saying that to people to right. where it's like we all want to put our own yeah. little special <clears throat> emphasis on yeah. this or requirement, but it kind of is true. Dog training is dog training, whether there's a, a it, woe or a sit stop or whistle stop, whatever you want to call yeah. it, it's, it's all the same concepts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one of my... One of my online services, if you want to call it that, that I'm using for dog training is um, uh, uh, is Standing Stone Supply. And you know, when I started talking to Ethan, I, you know, who they they breed short hairs, and they you know were you know well known for pointing dog training. And all of a sense, like, wait, wait, you you work with labs, you have labs, you you know do do all dogs, not just specific to that, and. You know, it's kind of funny. You think of one person that you get labeled as a pointing dog guy or a yes. flushing dog guy. And, you know, when when you start opening that up, it's it's all dogs. And yeah. even even I'm, you know, only one year into my my flushing dog and I'd like to train a pointing dog at some point. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and same thing with me. I'm, I'm going to get a flushing dog because, I mean, I'm sorry, the 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 pinnacle of what I'm trying to do with these hunting dogs involves the pointing flushing combo for yeah. me to become the best hunter and, and set myself up for a yeah. shooting, uh, the shooting range and, and being able to handle a lot of different stuff. I want, it's not going to be anytime soon. It's going to be at least three to five years away, but my goal is eventually to get that flushing dog with the intention of mm-hmm. working a flushing dog with one of my pointers and then I have truly have a different tool in the toolbox for whatever situation comes up. Yeah. That'd be fun to watch. I know there's a couple <laughs> of videos out there. I've seen some of them. And yeah. that, that looks like a ton of fun. Oh, yeah. No, it, you can just it hook is. up with guys that have flushers and see how that goes. There too. you go. But, yeah. dude, I mean, speaking on a lot of fun, we do need to wrap this up because it's, it's going on an hour and a half. But this is this has been a lot of fun. Like I said, I, I had no idea what we were going to get into. but And I know that we just scratched the surface on your question. So maybe we, we do another one here in a few months. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I'm just sitting there listening to this. I'm like, you're, you're really well spoken, right? I, I'm enjoying this kind of – Q&A session here, maybe if the listeners are doing this and they got a kick out of this and it's something, going back to the listener feedback, 
if you're listening to this and you like this, let us know because we can possibly do something like this, whether it's with Mike or, or other listeners or patrons, or maybe Mike is just the GDIY Q&A guy, right? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But if you enjoyed this, let us know so that we know how to move forward with this concept and improve on it and make it better. But I personally had a lot of fun doing this. I did too, Nick. And I, I've got three pages here of notes. I was going to do a formal interview and that didn't happen at all, but we hit on at least half of a lot of questions. Yeah. We, we took a deeper dive into some things that I hadn't really planned on it, but uh, this has been a lot of fun and I enjoyed th- this time and preparing for this. And as I grow out of my rookie year into hopefully intermediate type training, I, I'm going to have more questions. And every time we turn on an episode, I something gets my wheels spinning. <laughs> well, keep, keep track of them again. So, like I said, based on the response, maybe we do this again, but, uh, yeah, Mike, I, I enjoyed it. First off, appreciate your support on Patreon. It, it's meant the world to us. It's truly helped me kind of grow this show into where it is, and, and I have goals on top of goals to, to move this thing forward. But that's also why, you know, when, when somebody sends me three pages worth of questions or notes on Patreon, I'm not I'm not going to shy away from yeah. it because you do listen, you do care, and it yeah. honestly just makes me a better host as as well as helps me learn. I can't tell you how many times somebody hits me with a question. I'm like, you know, I don't know that, but I know a lot of people that do know the answers to things, and then I, I'm learning by, by you asking me questions, and, and I hope that if other people are listening to this and they and they like, man, that'd be nice, consider signing up for our Patreon. And it's not just mine. I know everybody else, the, the other people, Nick Larson, as you're talking about, you know, he, he answers questions. Bob Owens, Ethan, all these guys care. They wouldn't be doing this if they didn't care. So yeah. to circle back on what we were talking about earlier, find your resource, find your, your contact, find your person that, that makes sense to you. And, uh, throw support their way because it truly yeah. helps and they're there for a reason. At, absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, I'm, I'm a volunteer here. Nick isn't paying <laughs> me or sponsoring me. I want everyone to know that. But if you enjoy something and there's people like Nick, you have a great resource. You cover a wide variety of topics. So do all those other guys that you've mentioned. I listen to their pods as well. And if, and if you enjoy that, you know, whether you're doing a sport or a podcast, uh, you're involved with church or mission trips, our society works. You have to give back at some point. You can't be a taker. You can't, you know, if you give all the time, you're not getting anything back. You can't just be a taker all the time. And hey, I enjoy buying you guys a beer every month, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes that's a, a, a uh, you know, a, a Coors Light level. Sometimes that's a nice, you know, craft IPA, you know, type yeah. of beer. But I, I, you know, I just it feels like a small way to give back to you guys. So I hopefully you can continue this for a long time. Yeah, absolutely, and and it, and it is very much appreciated, and and it's great feedback, and again, great opportunities for us. And without without that venue or or approach to you supporting the podcast we wouldn't have done done this episode whether listeners you know agree with that or not you know maybe they're like well maybe you shouldn't have been a patreon patron who knows but hopefully everybody enjoyed this you know if you if you stick around and uh catch the outro on this but mike I, I truly enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun stepping out and doing something different and new, and, and maybe it'll catch on. Who knows? Maybe it's a, it's a new, new theme or, or concept for the podcast moving forward. 
Well, thank you for having me on, Nick, and best of luck to you. Wish you the best. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Stevens. It was presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. It was a lot of fun doing something different. You know, I get some Patreon patrons and people reaching out from time to time on social media and uh, always just kind of answer the questions and move on. But the Patreon patrons, you know, they're kind of first come, first serve. I get a little bit more in-depth with them. Uh, They're a little bit more involved with me and and feedback. And so I try and take the time. So when he came out with a a list of questions, I thought it'd be fun to just kind of try this out and see how it how it turned out. So if you listen to this and you enjoyed it, let me know. If it's something that you think we should never try again, let me know. Uh, But it was a lot of fun kind of stepping out of my comfort zone and letting somebody else ask me some questions for for whatever that's worth. But it's also... Uh, you know, he, he is a Patreon patron. Again, as we talked about in the episode, he's reached out a few times with some questions and I'm always happy to help if I can. Uh, I think anybody that's kind of reached out to me, they understand that if I don't know something, I'm not just going to BS it and, and make stuff up. I'm either going to tell you, I don't know, or I'm going to try and find the answer for you. Because a lot of the times, if you're asking me a question that I have no idea or any thoughts on, it's usually, if it's a good one, it's something that I want to know too. So uh, that that's kind of a, I guess, benefit or perk, if if you will, for uh, signing up for Patreon. And if for those that don't know what Patreon is, it's a uh, it's a voluntary, completely crowdsourcing. Just if you support the podcast, if you find value in the podcast, you can you can show your support by offering up, you know, five bucks a month. Uh, there's different tiers and, and stuff like that. But if you find any value or you enjoy this podcast, please consider signing up. And you also get other stuff like bonus content and videos. I do uh, I do early release on our videos, which I, you know, I've been saying for a few weeks, I have another one here coming soon. But then also I do stuff with uh, like the monthly bonus episode with Nick Larson over at Birdshot Podcast, where we kind of break down some hunting videos and just kind of chat and 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 shoot it for for a little bit and then i also do these what's called extended outros every week after the episode i pick a topic and i kind of break it down and give you my thoughts on pros and cons how to do stuff just just whatever it's it's really random on what we cover but a lot of it comes from the patreon patrons and then a lot of it is just my curiosity something that kind of piques my interest that maybe doesn't warrant a full episode or it's not like a guest type of thing. It's just me just kind of exploring my thoughts. So if that's intriguing at all to you, check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. And we are, uh, Onyx is offering up some memberships that we're going to be doing on monthly giveaways for Patreon patrons, as well as you can is coming up with a, uh, a package that we're going to start incorporating within the Patreon giveaways as well. So take that for what it's worth. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button, so you're sure to catch next week's episode and, uh, we enjoy talking talking to you then look forward to it thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us and our partners on facebook and instagram under gundog it yourself if you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content please check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself thanks again and happy hunting Everyone
everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.